Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and your battle that you're fighting is real. But trust me, Jesus has won the war, and I'm looking forward to talking to my friend and colleague Susie Larson the whole hour. She's written a new book called Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail. Usually, uh, I like to give introductions, but for Susie, I don't need one. Susie, hi. Mm -mm. Hey, bud. How are you? <laughs> good. So good to be with you. You don't need to introduce me, and I don't need to tell people that you were snuggling with your blankie this morning. It's so good. I we're we're buddies. Me. I cannot believe you exposed me. <laughs> I just love the picture of you. Coffee, blankie, book. Well, I had, I yeah, I had your book yeah, this yeah. morning, and I was reading it, and I was marking things up, and I was, I was mm -hmm. taking notes, and I was, had my coffee and my blankie, and it was fun. <laughs> 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 I can't believe I'm saying that. It was 5 o'clock in the morning, and what do I do? I leave my book and my notes on the couch next blankie. to my blankie. Yeah, well, I, I mm -hmm. can't bring that to work. Much right, as I'd like true. to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, I love the way this book is laid out. I think you've got some amazing, um, not only amazing content in here, but I think you've got some really great ways for this uh, information to apply in a person's life. And we'll talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit later. But I didn't get far in the book when I went, wow, this is, uh, this is already gripping. I'm in chapter one, and you talked about trauma fear. And I would love for you to tell that story. Absolutely. Yeah. I opened the book with that story. And it was many years ago. I was out of state at a writer's conference, staying with a friend in the basement of her home. In the middle of the night, I woke up in sheer terror. I broke out into a sweat. My heart was beating. And I had this kind of like inner knowing that my son, my youngest son, wouldn't make it out of his 20s. He was going to die. And it, it was like, I can't even explain it to you. It was so visceral. It was so horrifying that I crawled out into bed on my face and I begged God for mercy. I prayed all night long. And what I call that is a trauma fear. And that's very different than a God-given warning. That was not a God-given warning. It was a trauma fear. And the truth of the matter is in that uh, particular season of his life, he'd been wandering from the faith that we raised him in. And a few weeks earlier, I was sort of rehearsing all the what ifs. So I had opened the door to fear. And here's the thing is the enemy is a legalist. And if he finds opening, he is going to take it. And he sure did did. And if you kind of give them a little opening to, to any kind of uh, fear or anxiety, worry that you don't resolve, that you sort of let linger, the enemy finds that as a legal opening. And when the time is right for him and wrong for you, he'll attack you. And there are times where, you know, especially if you're prone to fear, that you can be uh, experience that kind of irrational fears. And that was definitely one of those. And that idea, you know, my son lived out of his 20s and he's in his 30s and he's, he's doing awesome. But I, I circle back around to say, how do you know the difference between a trauma fear and a God-given warning? Well, a trauma fear uh, really pokes at these unhealed, unresolved areas in your soul. And it really tells you, you can't trust God. And what the enemy tries to do, especially if you've not sorted through past fears, past hardships, if you haven't reconciled those with the love of God and the promises of God, what he will do is take those, those painful memories and project them into a worst case scenario future, a future that God's not in and try to get you to borrow that trouble, to try to imagine a future that God's not in. But if you're in Christ, no such scenario exists. There is no future moment that God's not in. So that trauma fear gets you into such a state of panic. I can't trust God. Where the God-given warning 
You might have a dream. You might have kind of a, just a sense, a caution. Uh, it, it's really a, a sense in your heart that I have to trust God. I can't go on my own. I can't do the autopilot thing. I must trust God. And, and those God-given warnings, what they do is give you kind of a sobriety of spirit, a caution, and alertness. So these are two different things, and I think it's really important when you're in battle to discern the difference between them. And Susie, you woke up in the middle of the night, and this was so real to you, wasn't it? Now, oh, so real. I yeah. mean, visceral. I felt it in my yeah. skin. Wow. I, yeah. Mm. Mm. I have yeah. a tendency of of doing, and I hate to admit this, but I, I do what I call awfulizing, where yeah. I will create a scenario in the future, which may or may not ever happen, and I'll decide all the things that could go wrong and all the things that would be very difficult and challenging, and then I'll insert it into my brain as if it's a done deal. And it yeah, just, and then it, you start it, to react to it. Yes, right? you do. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, probably mm-hmm. exactly what your, your trauma fear was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Enemy wants to get us to live in reaction to our fears. And that's why it's so important to be discerning some of these things that, you know, this is why I'm really am big on kind of inner healing and wholeness, because those things that are lingering, the enemy has had a long time to study us. And if we don't resolve those things in light of eternity, of God's love and his promises, they're kind of open doors where he will, when we're weak, when we're tired, when we're angry, hurt, stretched, overcommitted, those are the times when those kinds of awfulizings will uh, kind of make their way into our soul and into our mind. Yeah. It's almost like when you accidentally set your alarm off in your car and it's a false alarm. Exactly. And and you know how to get this thing to be quiet. But Mm -hmm. uh, we do this often with God where we create false alarms and and God Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be a part of that because it's not a real alarm. It's something that we create. Yeah. And that that's why it's so important to be really paying attention to the narratives that you're replaying in your mind because yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh yeah, they lead to somewhere, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Susie, how do we look for wisdom in the midst of this kind of trauma fear warfare? Well, I would say, uh, first of all, I want to just throw out to you, thanks to the publisher, we've got a handful of copies to give away and if you want to be strong in battle, just so you know, they're out there, and Bill can maybe tell you how to get those. This is when two radio hosts get together. And just, I suddenly just <laughs> I took his job. I'm my sorry. job. I know that's my yeah. job. <laughs> so sorry. I don't know what, uh, you know, no. yeah. Anyway, um, you know, I think it's really, really wise. In fact, I give a whole chapter to wisdom in the off-season because a lot of people say you're either walking into a storm or a battle, walking through a storm, or coming out the other side. And wisdom in the off-season, I think, is a really good way. And some questions, I, I kind of list seven questions to ask yourself once you've come through the battle so you can know yourself better. But I think that really equips you for the next battle. If I can just walk through those, uh, maybe that would be helpful. Yeah, is that let, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to just talk about, of course, the application of how to use this book because you, you have a great preview uh, in this, I'm just going to go through it real quick. It's the sure. the, the humble way, the, the plan to approach our battles. We should come with a humble, lowly spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And then, yes. um, then discern the fiery arrows. Uh, we need to know and identify the lies and the harassment, right? Absolutely. A quick, you know, just reminder that he draws near to the humble. He yes. distances himself from the proud. And there's times when we get poked at, when the arrows are flying, it might poke at our ego, our pride. And the low door of humility is always the safest place for you is to humble yourself before the Lord and to say, you know, the enemy is a legalist. Lord, have I given him any right? Does he have any legal right to attack me? And as my friend said, if the Lord shows you something, humbly repent and if and then roar. And if he doesn't show you anything, just roar. <laughs> but you've got to be willing to. I'm not saying every trial, every battle you face is your fault, but there are times 
that we give him access and we make light of maybe attitudes that usurp authority, bitterness, unforgiveness. And so I really suggest at the end of each chapter when I'm talking about different kinds of battles to start with the humility, to say, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Because there are times you're thinking, I don't know why the arrows are flying. And then suddenly he'll say, you know, that lie you picked up when life let you down or Mm. that person, you're still harboring bitterness against them. But I want to tell you, that's a question that you ask yourself, ask the Lord for your battles. We don't want to be like Job's friends and tell other people, you know why you're going through this trial, don't you? (laughs) You know what your problem is. And so that humble way is for you before the Lord. And then discerning the fiery arrows, because Ephesians 6.16 says, we've been given a shield to distinguish every fiery arrow. And I would submit that we put up with way too much from the enemy of our souls. He zings us. We get knocked over. We got those steel tips in our soul and we're, they're oozing. You know, we're bleeding under our armor and uh, we haven't taken time to go. Why is he targeted such a specific attack against me? So that's, yeah, and there's a few other sections too, but those are really, really important. Yeah. And I love the saying yes too. how important yes. it is this, the sword is the way of telling the enemy, oh, yes, I will. Yep. The shield is, oh, no, you don't. And the sword is, oh, yes, I will. That's our weapon of offense. And just so we know how to stand. I mean, there's a reason God gave us the weapons of our warfare. uh, And there's a way to walk them out so that we shore our lives up when Mm -hmm. the enemy comes in for the attack. Susie, you talk in your your book that the, the enemy will always look for those areas in your life where there's some unhealed wounds or places where we feel sensitive or vulnerable. Um, And it's a place where we can be easily triggered. I'd love for you to talk more about that. Yeah, you know, again, I've touched on that a little bit ago, but that's just super important to discern places that sometimes we have shoved things down into the basement of our soul and put it on lockdown to say, this is a no-talk issue. I'm not going there again. Now, I will tell you, the enemy will dig up your past so he can freshly condemn you. If the Lord brings you back to your past, it's so he can heal you on a deeper level. And when those things, you know, when the storm kind of stirs up things, my old pastor used to say, when you get stirred up, I want you to see God reaching in your soul, pulling something out so you can see it. And then he'll say to you, you see this? I'm about to deliver you from this thing. But what we don't like to do is to feel some of those triggers in those unhealed areas. So oftentimes we'll shove it deeper and we'll numb out in a way so we don't have to feel it. And that's that's the wrong approach because if it's buried, if there's a lie that's still buried, It will continue to afflict you. So sometimes God allows uh, an overplayed enemy attack to position us for freedom and sometimes even to protect us from a worst attack. So if you're in in the fire, under under fire and in the battle, and it's stirring up some things that are kind of tugging at you that are familiar, uh, again, I would just say get before the Lord to say, what in me? Uh, needs to go. What are you trying to deliver me from? Because his intent always is to get you through the battle stronger than you were going in the battle. You know, his intent is for the enemy to have less real estate, not more real estate. And that's why he does allow tests. He allows trials to refine us and to strengthen us so that we come through as overwhelming victors. That's what he's appointed Mm, us for. Yeah. Such a great start. Susie Larson is my guest, as you probably already know. We're going to take a break, but we've got a handful of books to give away. Thanks to Susie and her publisher. Uh, Her new book is called Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail. If you'd like to get in on that drawing, and I know you do, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We're going to take a short break, and then I'll be back with Susie.
You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Oh, we all have battles. Susie Larson says, how do we know if our battles have served us well? We emerge from them leaning on the arm of our beloved. That's a great line. I love that. It's from Susie Larson's new book, Strong in Battle, Where the Humble Will Prevail. Uh, Susie, I want to ask, um, just to get things started again, why uh, is there anything that's worked in the past regarding battles that maybe isn't working as well today? Yeah, that's a really important point. I'm glad you asked about that because we are in a day that's a day of acceleration. We've not been here before. Everything is speeding up and we're each fighting not only our own personal battles, but there are global issues that we're facing. And many people are feeling absolutely overcome by it's like enough to face what's ever happening under the roof or in the circle of their life. And then they read the, you hear the news and they're completely overwhelmed by it. And so what strategy has worked before may not work now, again, because we've never been here before. And I will say the two extreme responses to the times when people are feeling compressed by stress, their personal stress and the global stress are are these they either you know get into the extreme they react which we were talking about earlier the enemy wants to get you into a series of reactions and then they're they're shaking their fist at the darkness and they're getting matter and matter you're seeing christians on social media getting as bitter and acidic as those who would not profess faith the other extreme is uh to entertain themselves to death to numb out to you know to go i'm not going to watch any news anymore i'm just going to eat and drink and be merry because i like my life better that way but you know we're living and breathing on the earth for such a time as this. And Jesus says, you know, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And there is a way to experience a peace that passes understanding. And yet that's in the abiding life. So what has worked before may not work now, but what's super important is that you not kick into autopilot faith to say, I've been here before. I've done this before. I I know how to do this again. Because when you get into autopilot, especially if you've been a Christian a long time and you know your way around the word, you know all the words to the songs, you know, you know your way around your Bible and your church. And you sort of phone it in, you know what I mean, where you can sing a song with your mouth, but you're running through the grocery list in your head. I just want to just pause for a minute and just paint a picture for you that when you disengage, when you're in autopilot, you disengage your heart. And when you disengage your heart, you disengage your faith. When you disengage your faith... Nothing happens in the spiritual realm. So you might be singing a song, I'm going to see a victory, but your heart is off somewhere else and or you're worrying or you're just you're repeating that awfulizing or whatever. Nothing happens in the spiritual realm. But as a believer who's filled with the spirit of God, who puts her foot in the ground and raises her hand in the air to say, because I belong to Jesus, I'm actually going to see a victory. Because I belong to Jesus, enemy, you don't get to come against my family or my community. And you take your stand, then things start to change in the spiritual atmosphere. We we do need to understand. This might sound hyper-spiritual to some, but it's absolutely true if you believe the Bible. We're more spiritual than physical. And what's happening in the spiritual realm is actually very tangible. And if the enemy can find an inroad, he will take it. So this is a time for us to be really guarding our hearts. And if I can say one more thing about that, James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And I've talked about this, I think, on your show before, but I often hear this verse taken out of context. Well, if the enemy comes against you, just resist him. But that is not actual, that's not accurate because you're not getting the whole verse. The first line of that verse is submit to God, which is a military term, and it means get back in rank. So Watchman once said, you can't have authority unless you're under authority. So how do you get out from under the authority of God? Well, you take things, matters into your own hands. You, you uh, embrace attitudes that aren't uh, 
conducive with the Christian faith, where maybe it's pride or rebellion, judgment, unforgiveness, or maybe you're willfully going into sin that you know is wrong. You're out of rank. You don't have authority over the enemy if you're not under the authority of God, and he will take those openings and he will go after it. So when you submit to God and then you resist the devil, he must flee. And that he must flee, or he will flee, translates two ways. One is he runs for his life, and two, he looks for a safe place to dwell. So once you get back into that place of fearing God, he no longer has a safe place to dwell in your space. And I just think that's super important that we would honor and revere and fear God in this day. We must because the enemy knows his time is short and he's poking at every area of our lives. But we can prevail if we honor God, fear him, and then take our stand and resist the enemy. Somebody got to give me an amen. Well, I'm looking at my um, ratings meter and it's going up. So please keep talking. (laughs) You're so funny. Um, You know, there's some great illustrations you gave uh, in your book called Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail um, from Scripture, which I knew you would do because uh, you love God's Word. And you talked Mm -hmm. about Naomi, you talked about Jonah, you talked about Esther and and Jesus' disciples. Now, let's see, we've got six minutes. I bet you can do a couple of those. I think I could probably do all four because okay, awesome. I do tend kind of talk fast, but I'll try to do this. Okay. But just looking at, I, I wanted to offer biblical examples as to the varying reasons for our battle. So I just picked a few of those. So Naomi, here she faces unimaginable loss in the face of national famine. So her husband, Elimelech, he has two sons and a wife, and they live in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Now, if he were to keep himself in the big story, he would have said, God, your people are in a famine. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Have we missed it? You know, we, we, we seek a corporate repentance so that you will bring bread to our land again. But he didn't do that. He took his family to Moab, which they were arch enemies of the Jews. One scholar said, Elimelech traded one famine for three funerals because he died and then his sons in due time died. But Naomi paid a price for her husband's choices. And what I want to make, there's a lot more to that story than I've written a lot about. But just for this point, people pay a price when we take matters into our own hands. Then there's Jonah. He faced a storm, as did the sailors with him, because he was running away from God's purposes, not towards them. Jonah's storm was a consequence of his own disobedience. People pay a price when we abdicate our God-given responsibility. Well, then there's Esther. She faced a life-and-death moment because God had prepared her to stand in the gap of her people. Her battle was this culmination of her life's calling. And many people, many Jewish people, lived and were blessed because of the way Esther stewarded her storm. So that's kind of amazing when you think about it. So there are different reasons for our battle, and some are by our own making or because people made choices that impact us and we are suddenly thrust into a battle. But sometimes God allows a storm because it's culminating into our purpose. And I'll throw one more in there uh, from Scripture. I think it's Mark 4. Jesus tells the disciples, let's go to the other side. He leads them right into a storm. And maybe there's times where the Lord has led you and you find yourself in a storm. And I thought, Lord, I, I thought I heard from you. And yet I followed you. I said, yes. And here I am in a storm. Well, these are seasoned fishermen who actually feared for their lives. So the storm must have been pretty significant. I want you to imagine the disciples with their long hair whipping in their faces because of the rains and the wind and they're screaming. And you know, Jesus is napping. And he's not lightly napping because he was like in the REM sleep cycle because they literally had to wake him up in a storm where they're screaming and this boat is being tossed. And their question was, Lord, don't you care? And his question to them was, where's your faith? And he rose up and he spoke and took authority over the wind and the waves. What I want to say that I, that I really draw from this story is that he wants to model rest and authority. 
because when they get to the other side, they're facing a demoniac and the intensity and the persecution, all kinds of things were about to pick up. So the Lord led them into a storm to model rest in the storm. And we need to know how to access rest when we're in the battle. Psalm 91 once says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High God will rest in the shadow. Rest is incredibly important when you're in the middle of the battle. And it really is a measure of your faith and your maturity. You don't postpone rest till you get out of the battle. You know how to take a nap in the battle. And then authority. He took authority over the wind and the waves. And in Luke 10, 19, he says, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You will walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them and nothing will injure you. I remember when I was a young mom and we were on the verge of losing our house. We didn't, but because of medical debt, we were hanging by a thread and I still didn't know what was wrong with me. Just terrible neurological symptoms that, as you know, turned out to be Lyme. But I remember the Lord just charged me and said, Susie, are you a believer because you believe this stuff or just because you just want to get out a hell free card? I mean, when are you going to live like a believer and shift your way down to the promises to see if they hold? I've given you authority, so take it. And so I rose up and said, I take authority in the name of Jesus over the spirit of fear. You haven't given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and sound mind. I take authority over all this anxiety. That's not from you. I put it under my feet, and I embrace the peace that passes understanding. And I, I learned a secret that day, Bill, because when I rose up in the authority that God gave me, peace came and fear left. And it's not a once-and-done thing. It's something we have to constantly contend with, some of us more than others. But his word is true. His promises are true. And he has given us his promises so we can participate in his divine nature that's what scripture says mm, Susie, it's so good you know when you talk about worry fear anger these are all things that are going to be opening the door for the enemy absolutely yeah. and that's the thing is you know that when they say that in the latter days the love of most will grow cold well mm-hmm. you know what when when love decreases lawlessness increases and if you think you've been offended before i hate to say it but we'll have lots of opportunities to be offended so this is a day where we can't phone it in we can't do what we've done before we put on our armor every day and a great measure if, if we're prevailing in battle is the measure of our love and our compassion. Are we yeah. getting more bitter or we have sorrow over those who are lost because we win in the end. So we've got to live um, the way Jesus calls us to and the way he modeled it for mm-hmm. us. Susie, I love it. We talk the rest of the, the hour about rest in the middle of storms because Amen. when you're not uh, resting, you're more miserable than ever. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. And if he, if he can get you worn down, he can get you to break down. No, I agree. And so this is not, again, once and done. It does matter how we navigate our battles. So and as you mentioned that quote, how do you know if your battle has served you well? If you come through with a deeper intimacy and appreciation of yeah. who God is. Yeah. Amen. That's great. Susie Larson is my guest. She's got a handful of books uh, to give out. So if you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877 84. Again, 877-933-2484. Got a bunch of amens from listeners. And Amy said, Susie is such an inspiration to me, as she is all of us. We'll be right back. Mm. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Drive, 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 drive. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Hey. Whoa. 
for dinner. It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Your battles are real, but Jesus has won the war, and what you believe determines how well you will fight. We're talking to Susie Larson today, and her new book is Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail. I think this is her first interview on this book, and it's uh, available in a very special way. I think it's a pre-order book right now, but Susie, didn't you say that there's a, a publisher that's got a pretty sweet deal right now on this book? Yeah. Absolutely. So it releases August 9th, but I happen to know that the the books are in. It's normally an $18 book and Baker uh, Bookstore Online. If you just sort of Google that, I think you'll find it and search for Susie Larson or Strong in Battle. You will get it, I think, for 10 bucks, free shipping. And we've got these 10 packs of gorgeous quote cards. So just picture like a real beautiful scene. Like one I'm looking at now is a woman with a backpack sitting by a beautiful lake. And it says, God will lead you beside peaceful streams. He's well able to restore your soul while the nations are in chaos. So there's 10 of these gorgeous quote cards in a pack. And while supplies last for all the pre-orders, you get uh, a book and a pack of 10 cards. There, people love them so much they ask to buy the cards, but they're just a promo piece. So That's sweet. yeah, search for Baker Bookstore online and you'll find the best deal you can. We also have the cards on SusieLarson.com. Amazon will probably get you the book quicker, but uh, you wouldn't get the cards. So just in case you're interested. Mm-hmm. Susie, when we uh, when we understand that we're all going to go through battles all the time, and we, we're smart enough to know that, what about if we're on the recovery, and we're on the other side, and we're trying to recover from a battle? What, talk about the wisdom in that season, that off season. I'm, I really love that question because I, I devoted a whole chapter to it. Just as someone who's walked through some pretty intense battles myself, and really I, I'm I'm so interested in this topic because I just noticed some will go through what seems like a small battle and it'll just derail their faith and derail their perspective, while others will go through the fire and they'll come through without smelling like smoke. So I paid a lot of attention to why does one person fare well through a horrific battle and someone else, they're, they're completely derailed by what seems like a bad day. So here are seven questions to ask ourselves, and I really encourage you to spend some time with these. And again, there's a whole chapter de- devoted to this, and even if you don't get the book, just play the Bill's show back and take some notes. But the first one is this. What do I know about God now that I didn't know prior to this trial? I just think that's a really important question. Number two is, how has this battle impacted my theology? In other words, have I adjusted my theology in any way? Have I manipulated my faith to match my life? And an excellent way to discern this is to note, are are there any lingering disappointments in God or in others, offenses in my heart or unresolved pain? Unhealthy indulgences that you justify because of what you just had to walk through. And that is a normal feeling where you're like, after all this, I'm going to charge up my credit cards or I'm going to go drink the night away. I mean, even Christians feel that way because you're so battered, you kind of want to numb out. But don't think for a moment that the enemy doesn't know when you're going to let your guard down. Um, How about a biblical compromise that you know you're making because it feels so painful to stay aligned with God's word because you're battered from the storm? So that second question is, how has this battle impacted my theology? The third one is, how has my battle impacted my perspective of others? This is a good way to discern, has this trial matured me or has it um, diminished me? So ideally, our battles will refine us in a way that will grow in love and compassion for others. But if we don't process our hardships in a really redemptive way in light of God's promises, 
We'll find ourselves irritated with others, impatient with their weaknesses, dismissive of their trials because they don't compare to all we've endured. And maybe you've met someone like that who's come through a hard trial, but suddenly they just have no patience for someone who's got a lesser struggle. That's a good way to know, has my battle served me well or not? How has it impacted my perspective of others? Number four is, what biblical truths did I forget that I need to remember. Spend some time with those things. Why were they? Why did those truths so quickly, let, you know, kind of evade your mind? And then, what truths did I remember that I don't want to forget? Write those down too. And I'm not one for tattoos. I have a lot of my kids all have tattoos, but you know, this might be one thing that you want to tattoo is a verse that you don't want to forget. And then, number five, really important question: What were the defining moments of my battle when the storm raged? And God met me there. This is your story. This is your song. This is that This is that part of your story that you want to tell. And if you can define that and articulate that, God is going to provide you all kinds of opportunities to share that part of your story. Because here's what's true. When you come through the fire and you're still standing and you still love Jesus and you have a compassion for people, you've got an authority and a credibility that others don't because you've prevailed in scripture. You've, I mean, you've prevailed in battle by standing on the scripture. So as you kind of identify those defining moments, you got to know that is a huge part of your story. And number six, what in me still needs healing? And this is just, it's time to assess the damages. You know, God is deeply committed to restoring you in whatever way you need it. But you got to be honest because you'll never heal from a hurt that you refuse to acknowledge. So just to, you know, I went through counseling after this last relapse because it was so devastating to me. I was hurt by God. I was disappointed that he would allow it. I was disappointed that I went so quickly back into fear when the neurological symptoms started to flare. I just had a lot to sort through. I, I didn't understand why some people just have their health and I fight so hard for it and I, I just couldn't get it. I, I just had some things to sort through. So what in you still needs healing? And number seven, how am I better because of this battle? What has this trial done for you, in you, and through you? And in what ways has this opposition served you well? So as I said, these things take some time to, to ponder, but I think it's worth the work because far too many people, they prevail in battle. They get to the other side. They're exhausted. They're worn out. And the enemy hits them when they don't expect it. And I just think you can shore up your life if you do some inventory and take some time with the Lord in that. Susie, you did uh, just mention right now your uh, battle with with your chronic illness. And maybe you could give us an update. And then I would love to know what you know about God uh, from this setback or what did you learn from this whole trial? Yeah, you know, I don't think I had a show where I talked as clearly about the healing process as on your show. In fact, I sent that link to many people because somehow you just set it up and gave me the opportunity to go and and talk about it, um, encapsulated. I just thank you so much for that. But um, I'm in a, a, a pretty good place, I will say. Um, God is really, after a really a hellish struggle in the last seven years, especially this last Lenten season, God mobilized some women to pursue me and pray for me until I'm fully healed. And the biggest thing that happened through some of those prayer meetings and some of those women I pray with every Wednesday morning um, was a significant in, inner healing that really got my body out of fight flight. My body was stuck in fight flight because of really the the trauma and the mental exhaustion of navigating really scary symptoms. And since then, there's just been so much that's happened in my health where my, my systems seem like they're kind of 
coming online and firing as they should. And then about six weeks ago, I went to Texas, flew to Texas for a three-day pretty significant oral surgery. Uh, they really have determined there was a lot of Lyme that had settled in my jawbone, as crazy as that sounds. And they cut through seven places in my gums, broke through the bone, and found a bunch of inf- infection there. So seven cavitation sites, five teeth recrowned and two teeth pulled. And that really did also impact symptoms. Uh, I'm still dealing with a few lingering effects of that oral surgery, but I'm telling you, I'm taking leaps and bounds forward and I'm feeling my energy bounce back. But the biggest thing that came out for me was a couple of the women that prayed for me. One of them, she said that she just her she and her husband just took inventory of my story And I was wondering why they weren't getting to the prayer part. And they said, you know, we need your whole story because we want to establish a pattern of theft. She says the enemy always has a pattern of theft in a person's life. And that's why inventory is so important. And I, I, you know, I think inventory is hugely important when you look at relationships and stories and what's the fruit, what are the ways the enemy has consistently come against me. And the pattern of theft in my life, Bill, has been when I'm weakest, when I'm most vulnerable, when someone should be taking care of me is when the enemy was able to get in and steal from me, which put me into fight flight and kept me in that place of bracing for impact. And one of the things that this friend just Sort of drilled home to me over and over again is she said, goodness and mercy are what follow us as Christ followers. Goodness and mercy are what chase us. And if you don't have a constant holy expectation, even in battle, of the goodness and mercy of God, like what does God have up his sleeve? If you don't live with a holy expectancy around the goodness of God, something in you needs to be healed and or something is out of alignment in your thinking. And I am coming into a season, even like now, I'm, I'm dealing with a few physical things that are kind of a bummer. I have so much joy, and I'm so convinced of God's goodness. And I wasn't fully before. I loved him. I worshiped him. But I I was always bleeding under my armor because I was struggling so much in the health stuff. And it was like I'd see him move in all these other areas of my life, but it was crickets in the area that really meant the most to me. And since I've been honest about that, I've heard from lots of people who say that's exactly the same for me, where I see him move over here, I see him move over here in this part of my life. But in the area that uh, I want to see him move most, he seems silent. And in those places of silence, we interpret that as absence. And it's those places where we have to go. You know, he's present. He's he's an ever help in times of trouble, of ever present help. And and my whole perspective on the goodness of God has been upgraded so significantly, which changes my joy like I can't even tell you. So I know in my knower that he's good. And his promises are true. And there's nothing he allows that he will not redeem. I could say that before, but there were parts of my story that didn't bear witness to that. But I can say it now, and I know it's true. Oh, wow, that's amazing, Susie. I'm I'm still stuck on this patterns of theft. That was a, those are three strong words. And I almost yeah. wonder, is some of that our blind spots? Or is it just some ways in which we are constantly being deceived over and over again? by the enemy's attacks because the enemy knows they work? Wow, that's a great way to phrase it. You know, uh, what I've understood and even what I've learned from my friend is that he's, he goes after us when we're children. You know, he's, I've said this for years, that he sees your potential as a child long before you ever do. And his threat against you is very connected to your threat against him. So all you got to do is look back in your childhood when you first felt you weren't enough. You know, it can be something as simple as a teacher making a diminishing comment or a, a classmate saying something or a time when even maybe you have good parents, but they were too busy in a moment when you needed them. And he will do whatever he can do to amplify the lie 
amplify the injury. So you draw a wrong conclusion about who you are and who God is. And so I would say go back there and start looking. And yes, I think if we don't, that's why I say if, if you don't resolve some of the hurts and uproot some of the lies, if those are just left unchallenged in your system, those are the inroads that the enemy will take every time. And this is why there are times God allows an overplayed enemy attack so he can position you for freedom. He is intent on your freedom. He came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, remember John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. That is his MO. But Jesus says, I come that you have life and life abundantly. And I think when you've been ripped off long enough, you start to think your, your theology, you interpret the gospel as, okay, I know I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm just going to bide my time until I get there. Yeah, true. But no, no, scripture says that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Jesus came to give you life and life to the fullest. And I, met, I think I mentioned this last time I was on the show, but I feel like someone needs to hear this today. But last year around the Lenten season, when things were at an all-time uh, high for me or low, if you, depending on how you want to look at it, but the neurological sense, symptoms were horrific and so scary and terrible. I literally told the Lord, you either got to kill me or heal me because I'm not going to survive this. I don't have the mental bandwidth to survive these neurological surges and the irregular heartbeats. And it was so such a nightmare. And the Lord prompted me to, he said, I want you to look up Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And I'm, you know, I, whenever God tells you to do something, you should do it. But I'm like, I already know that verse. <laughs> I know it by heart. And uh, he said, look it up deeper. Check it out. You know, and I looked it up. And for by grace, we are saved through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of work. So no one can boast. The word saved, the original word is sozo. And we often hear that verse only for salvation in the context of salvation. But sozo means a lot more than saved from the penalties of judgment. It means to be healed. It means to be restored. It means to be made well. And it means to be saved from the penalty of judgment. For by grace, you are sozoed. You're restored. You're made well. You're made whole. And you're saved from the penalties of judgment. The gospel is so much better news than we even know. And you just got to follow Jesus around the around the Gospels to see how much he cared about the human condition. He cared when their hearts were broken, when they were afraid. He cared when their bodies were broken, and he addressed those issues. And so I say the more that you get healed on the inside, the more that you really believe that God is good, and when you kind of grab a hold of that, and then you go, so what am I thinking doesn't align? What am I reality doesn't align? Is there theft in my life? I guarantee you there is. The Lord will show you how to shut him down so that you can rise up and really possess all that God has for you. Hmm. That really has us thinking, Susie. I, I appreciate this perspective that you're sharing with us today. It is so good. Strong in Battle is the name of Susie Larson's new book, Why the Humble Will Prevail. We've got a handful of copies to give out. And I know they're going to go quick. So get your name in the drawing, 877-933-2484. Text the word book to that number, 877-933-2484, and we'll be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. Your battle is real. And Susie Larson's new book uh, has a lot of practical battle strategies. And you will arise victorious with a stronger sense of who you are and what you possess through Jesus Christ. So fear not. You're on the winning side. Susie Larson is my guest again. Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail is her new book. So Susie, who decides uh, when the battle is over? 
Great question. I will tell you, God decides. You know, there are ways that we can navigate a battle so that we are not just biding our time and pining away until we get relief from the battle. But God is the one who determines when the battle is over. And you know, I'm not. I'm not saying you should watch Gladiator, even though um, I love that movie. <laughs> I just think that is such a powerful movie in leadership and and how to stand in battle. And there's this point where Russell Crowe is. You know, he's been completely betrayed. He is now a gladiator where he was a, a, like a general in the army and the evil uh, king was completely manipulating things and he completely destroyed Russell Crowe's family and he was rubbing Russell Crowe's face in it, but he did not buck. He stood there and he let him finish and he said, the time for honoring yourself will soon be at an end. And you know what? The enemy knows the time for honoring himself will soon be at an end. But what you need to know is what God promises. In First Peter 5.10, it says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I want to just pause here to tell you there is an end date to your suffering. There's an end date to your battle. There's not one person who's anointed and appointed to always live in the valley of the shadow. We walk through the valley of the shadow. And if I can revisit this passage again, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. You know, the scripture says, All of creation groans for the day when God will reveal who his children really are. And what I write about in Strong in Battle that I think is absolutely amazing, on the day of the great reveal, when Jesus reveals who he is and every knee bows, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. He is king. Some of us will bow in adoration. Others' knees will buckle and they were like, he was right. He is who he said. But every knee is going down. On that day of that great reveal... All the creation groans for that day when he also reveals who we are. And, you know, there's a moment when you see him and you're going to be changed and transformed because you'll see him as he is, which will help you see you as you are. And there's a day of great glory. That is just amazing to me. And the Bible says what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us later. So the more that we can, you know, tether ourselves to the goodness of God and really create a mindset in our own minds to be transformed, to go, you are good. Your promises are true. And you're going to make a way for me and develop a holy expectancy that God has got something up his sovereign sleeve in the midst of this battle. He's allowed it for a purpose and he's going to redeem it. When you start to develop that holy expectancy, Even in battle, you will be someone like the character in Gladiator where he did not buck. He did not buckle in the face of pure evil. He actually saw it for the shriveling, you know, little minion that he was. He was the one who was honored in the end. So the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory after you suffered a little while, God himself, he's not going to send somebody else to do the job. He himself will restore you. He himself will make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever. And, you know, the reason it's important to know that God decides when the battle ends is because we will lose heart. If we start to count the days Mm, we've been in the battle, we try to short circuit, you know, the process, you know, he knows what he's doing and he knows what will refine us and he's not letting us go. And if you can't hear him, you can't sense him. It doesn't mean he's not there. He's not looking away. And there will be a day when the tables turn and you will emerge victorious, but it really does rely on 
what perspective you choose. Are you abiding um, in the vine or are you getting bitter? Are you getting offended? I want to say one more thing about that, if I could, and interrupt me because it's your show. But I've just been thinking about uh, John the Baptist. You know, Jesus said, no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was the one who leapt in the womb when Mary walked in the room. I mean, think about how knitted together these two guys were and their ministry. But when he was uh, put into prison, you know, he started to doubt, which I think should help us all not beat ourselves up when we're, you know, battered by the storm and kind of away from the action. So he sends his, his followers, his friends to go ask, are you the Christ or should we be looking for someone else? This is John the Baptist who baptized Jesus. Are you the Christ or should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus' answer is so filled with compassion and conviction. Go tell John, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk again, the deaf hear. So yes, miracles are still happening, even if you're away from the action and you can't see them. But then he says, blessed are those who are not offended by me. And this is key for me. This is where God really nailed me when I was so hurt that he seemed to not be moving in my life in this health battle. Blessed are those who are not offended. What he really imparted to me, and I pray can impart to you if if the battle's been long for you, is that God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still healing bodies. He's still saving souls. He's still reconciling marriages. He's still active on the earth today. If you're away from the action, there is a purpose in that. He is deepening your trust in him. But blessed are you who are not offended with him. And I think that's part of our work. And if we can stay tender and humble and hopeful in battle, that positions us on the path of his promises. And that's when you're really positioned in a way to see his glory come to bear in your story. Mm. Susie, uh, so many nice nice comments coming in. And I know you've got probably the text line open as well, but you're not going to read your own good comments. But I'd like to say, uh, Barry said, listening to Susie's amazingly skilled communication of her challenges and God's help demonstrates clearly why the enemy would attack her. She's so impactful for all of us who are so challenged. She's glorifying God so well. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. So you want to talk about the uh, dream you had? Oh, yes. (laughs) It's a little wild, but I will tell it anyways because this – no, I'm doing it. Okay, good. Yeah, go ahead. Let's just do it. All right. So (laughs) this – I mean, I will just say dreams are biblical. And a number of years ago, Kevin and I just said, you know, give us dreams, especially because I struggle so much with sleep that I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, there's such a biblical case for dreams in the Bible. If you wouldn't mind speaking to us at times in our dreams – and I'm not saying every dream – has a message in it, but there are times when we wake up and there's a vivid dream with details and you know that you've heard from the Lord. Well, one night I went to bed so discouraged by the news, just, you know, it was, we're in a day where truth is thrown to the ground, as scripture talks about. And it just seemed like, you know, I saw this kind of man on the street interview by a news, an anchor, a news anchor who is saying, you know, yeah, this happened. There's evidence. Do you care? No, I really don't care. Like people don't even care if there was corruption or this or that. And I just, I'm like, how will we make it if people actually don't even care about truth? I mean, we are in not only a post-Christian society, we're in a post-truth society. So how are we, gonna, how are we supposed to do this, Lord? I was so discouraged. And I went to sleep going, Lord, you got to speak to me because I, I, I'm discouraged. And I had this vivid dream. And in the dream, 
I was, it's like I was in the dream, but I was also seeing myself from above. And I was standing in this field, this big pile of rubble, but it took up like the size of a football field. But the pile of rubble were chunks of halls of power. So they looked like pillars. And like you could tell the, all the rubble that I was up to my knees in were halls of power, like really distinguished buildings. And the sun was on my face. The sun was warm. And I had this look of awe, like no way did that just happen. And then to my left was this, you could see it was like a heavenly city. And it was true halls of power. And there were hues of orange and, and pink and yellows and blues. It was just beautiful. But you could see these true halls of power that would not be moved. And over my shoulder, about every 20 feet, was another person up to their knees in this rubble with the same awestruck look on their face. And in my dream, I knew this was corruption that was dismantled and into a pile of rubble. And all of us were intercessors. And I was I knew in the dream that our prayers were making a difference. And I literally sat up when I woke up from that dream, so infused with energy. And I stumbled upon in my time in the Lord, Psalm 46 and Isaiah 25, 26, 27. And I'm just giving you some reading assignments. Remember that dream and read because it talks about these cities we thought were so strong are in a rubble. And in Isaiah, it says the people are in awe. They're looking around going, look what our God has done. He did this. And, and I'm telling you, Bill, it was like I just was reminded afresh that God hears our prayers. He means what he says. And our intercession, our prayers make a difference. And I have 100% confidence that nobody's getting away with anything. He doesn't miss anything. And he's indifferent about nothing. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. And it just circles us back to Psalm 37, where it says, don't fret when the wicked seem to flourish. Don't fret when it seems the wicked are getting away with everything. You, you dwell in the land. Because if you fret, if you rage over their wickedness, it will only lead you to harm. But when you dwell in the land and you feed on his faithfulness, you delight in yourselves and the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. This is how we're going to see the distinction between the godly and those who are the ungodly. We're going to dwell in the land. We're going to keep our joy. We're going to trust in the Lord. We're going to actually see answers to prayer in a day of wickedness. And that's what's going to cause people to ask about the hope that's within us because they're going to see hope on us. And I'm telling you, I have so much confidence in God and his righteousness that I'm just going to keep dwelling in the land, feeding on his faithfulness and trusting him to do what he says he's going to do. Well, thank you, Susie. As a radio professional, you know exactly how much time I have left, so I appreciate that. There you that. go, buddy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Susie Larson yeah. has been my guest. Her book is Strong in Battle, Why the Humble Will Prevail. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.